You're listening to a Dharma talk from Sunday Morning Zen, a program of the Zen Life and Meditation Center of Chicago. My talk today is The Living Earth, and I just found uh, Norman Fisher's, um, it's a book, uh, transcribed his talks that were, that were given at Upaya in, I don't know, a while ago, uh, that were transcribed by Kuya Minog, I'm not sure I'm pronouncing her name right, from the Creston Zendo in British Columbia. So let's read the first three paragraphs of Dogen's Sansuikyo, Mountains and River Sutra. Mountains and waters right now actualize the ancient Buddha expression. Each abiding in its condition unfolds its full potential because Mountains and waters have been active since before the empty eon. They are alive at this moment because they have been the self since before form arose. They are emancipation actualized because mountains are high and broad Their way of riding the clouds always extends from the mountains. Their wondrous power of soaring in the wind comes freely from the mountains. Prince Daokai of Mount Furong said to the assembly, the green mountains are always walking. A stone woman gives birth at night. So, um, as I was preparing for this talk about the living earth, or as we say in Hawaiian, kahonua o ola, the earth life, life. I remembered the Mountains and Rivers Sutra, and Google to see, you know, what might be some commentary on this beautiful sutra. So this is the book. Okay, let me see. I, um, okay, now you can see it, right? Okay. Uh, That just came out, and I'm just really enjoying this, but, you know, uh, Dogen can be really kind of hard to understand. And um, when you read Dogen, it's really helpful if you um, can kind of be in a contemplative state of mind. So I intend at our upcoming session retreat to study this while in retreat. And I'll be giving more talks from from Norman's wonderful teachings, uh, his, his commentary on the Mountains and River Sutra. And for those of you who don't know Dogen, he was, he's from the 12th century and he's known as the father of our Soto Zen Buddhist sect.
So mountains and rivers, you know, uh, yes, there are mountains and rivers. And could they be something else as well? Mountains and rivers, sutra. So sutra means um, actually the words of the Buddha that he spoke when he was alive in the 5th century BCE. But his words were only really um, orally transmitted for the first 500 years after his death and started to be written down in 100 uh, CE. So in this sutra, Dogen is making this incredible statement that the activities and the sounds of mountains and rivers are in themselves a sutra because they perfectly express the essence of the teachings of the Buddha. And I think for those of you who love nature, I think you know what I mean, how sometimes you have to leave, especially you're in the city or in a suburb, you have to leave and you have to go back and be immersed in nature because there's a sanity there that we just kind of uh, forget about. And that sanity is, can be looked at as, well, you know, in Buddhism, in Zen Buddhism, we're always talking about uh, this oneness with everything, right? How to see this oneness of everything, this sanity and clarity that is us as well, our Buddha nature, our true nature, right? And in our busy lives, we can just get too much going in our brains that we do not see this, but it is there. And when you go for a walk, amongst trees or in the vast plains, then if you spend time there, you start to remember your true nature, which is the essence of, of life. The sounds of the mountains and rivers Beautiful. They are so beautiful. If we can just listen to that. And in hula, absolutely, you know, uh, we are dancing nature. So if we don't have nature, then we don't have hula. So in this Mountains and Rivers Sutra, Dogen is teaching us about what the mountains and rivers are telling us. He's also talking about um, the reality of the enlightened mind. What is that? The reality of the enlightened mind. That's why I meditate. <laughs> because most of the time, my mind is kind of I guess they call it monkey mind. I could say jungle mind. It's like going, right? Totally. And where am I? I don't know where I am. How can I appreciate, 
right? Anything around me if I'm so caught up in myself. Worrying about the past, anxious about the future. We're like missing the beauty of everything that surrounds us, even the difficult times, right? That's, that's the time when we really have to practice. Those times are the best teachers for us. If we can hang in there and kind of drop all of our opinions and thoughts, and that is what the practice does for me. And that is why I'm so looking forward to Sashin. And the cool thing about these online Sashins, I mean, yes, in-person is fabulous. This is the way we've been doing it all, all along. But now you have an opportunity to be in your homes and to see the preciousness and sacredness of everything in your home, to practice. You know, they say, uh, Trungpa Rinpoche used to say, you know, you can tame the wild energy of a room by just sitting and meditating there. Imagine what our houses will be like as we strengthen our practice in our own homes. And at the same time, the Sashin is kind of amazing because we're also connected like we're connected now. And I know the Commit to Sit program has been wonderful. I have gotten such great feedback from people who are uh, doing Commit to Sit. And uh, I got a really nice note from, um, I think it was Elizabeth yesterday, who sent a contribution of $50 and said, how important the commit to sit has been to her practice. So, Dogen is saying in Mountains and Rivers Sutra, enlightenment is here, now. Can we see it? Well, he's not asking that question. I'm asking that question, right? Can we see it? He's saying it is here, now. And uh, Dogen really expressed a different viewpoint from his uh, colleagues or peers in the 13th century. According to Dogen, Zen training is not a developmental training process with the goal of enlightenment. So let me say that again. According to Dogen, Zen training is not a developmental training program process with the goal of enlightenment at the end. We're not going from ignorance to knowledge, from unenlightenment to enlightenment. Dogen saw Zen training as a practice that enables us to live life fully Every day, starting this moment, living our life fully each moment. For him, enlightenment was 
present in every single moment. And, and I, you know, it's hard to believe. Even those moments when I am so, like, angry, could that be an enlightenment moment? Right? Well, according to Dogen, yes, it is. <laughs> yeah, it's not that special aha moment. <laughs> yeah, that definitely, that's nice, but that's not only the time of enlightenment. It is simply wholehearted participation in every moment without anything left out. What does that mean? Wholehearted participation in every moment. Does that mean, you know, if I'm thinking about something I'm worried about in the future that I'm not really here? Seems like it. Although, you know, maybe I can see what I'm doing and I can appreciate my worry, you know, and kind of give it some loving kindness and go, okay, okay, but that's what's up for me now. I'm really kind of anxious. Okay. Enlightenment is happening here and now, every moment, whether we see it or not. Everything, in hula we say, hula is life. Everything we see, hear, feel, taste, and touch, that is hula. And if we can just really appreciate all of that, that is enlightenment. So he says, you know, because we don't know it, because we don't see this, we live in a way that's destructive and that cuts us off from true intimacy, true intimacy with each moment. And he says, we come by this alienation honestly. You know, it's in our education, our culture, our society and our families. So it's normal to make the mistake of trying to add something or take something away from what is already here, but it's still a mistake. So when we do that, we're really not appreciating life as it really is. So Zen practice helps us to really appreciate life as it really is, good and bad. Living it fully, every moment. And he says, yeah, the current self-help culture drives us towards future conditions and encourage us to look beyond this moment for something that we don't already possess, right? Everybody's familiar with that. We're always reaching for the product that will make us look more beautiful, thinner, more handsome, right? We're always the food that is gonna help us.
And so because of this tendency, Norman is saying, we are always looking at things, including spiritual experience, with desire and expectation. So can we just sit for the sake of sitting and that's it? Can we just do that without some expectation that it's going to help us be enlightened? Just sit for its own sake. And when we do that, we're getting closer, I think, to fully appreciating this life as it is. Trungpa Rinpoche says, sitting on your chair or your cushion is a powerful symbol of being alive. Meditating even when you think you're not. There's still communication with body and mind going on. We don't have to understand everything because we can't. To be aware of irritations of body and distant thoughts is an experience of real life. We are studying the self. And Dogen says when we study the self, we can forget the self, kind of let it go. So in the Mountains and Rivers Sutra, Dogen is clearly expressing a unique approach to Zen. He is not saying that there is no path and no destination, but he is saying that the destination is at every point along the path. We are not marching through time to get to a destination because there is both path and destination in every moment. Let me repeat that. We are not marching through time to get to a destination because there is both path and destination in every moment. So long before Buddhism came to China in 200 CE, Taoist sages realized the power, depth, and profundity, profundity meaning deep insight, great depth of knowledge and thought, the profundity of mountains and rivers. They recognized that the two are interdependent. Mountains create rivers and the constant movement of glaciers, rivers, ice creates mountains. In fact, in the Chinese language, mountains and rivers is often used as the word for nature. So for ancient Taoists, there is a deep sanity that transcends human thought 
in the mountains and rivers, right? We feel that, we know that when we are there and when we spend time there, we know that and it is so healing. So, so we have to, so we have to just sit, I think, just kind of set ourselves down and just hang in there and just breathe, right? Breathe this precious breath that we have. Can we really appreciate this precious breath and life that we have? Appreciating everything means appreciating ourselves as well. So it's kind of interesting, right? We're appreciating ourselves, and yet we want to also forget the self. By that, I mean that small self, you know, the one that's always kind of, you know, thinking, 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 right? That small self that has to be... Um, propped up, basically, because we have such a small self-esteem. We have to keep propping it up, you know, by outside signs and signals that we exist. We don't need that because we do exist. And we can just, we can just see that, I think, when we can settle ourselves down. That's why, for me, the practice is so incredibly important and when we're settled down, you know, we can, we can respond to challenges in our life, I think, in a more skillful way. And yeah, we're going to make mistakes. That's part of life. Can we appreciate the mistakes, too? That is part of the path. So don't be afraid. Or, or work with your fear. You know, it's just an energy. Just work with it. And when you sit, that's what I mean by working with it. You're pausing, you're feeling what's going on in your body, right? And you're not, you're not, uh, you're trying to work with the mind too in, in terms of noticing the story you're telling yourself and saying, hey, can I disrupt that? Remember Brian Joshin Burns gave a great talk last week about four disruptive dharmas. And I think the practice of zazen, of meditation, is very disruptive of the constant habitual thoughts that we have. To disrupt that. And then just breathe. Just be with our bodies. And... You know, we can give ourselves empathy also by saying, yes, I know this is a hard time. I'm going through something tough, okay? You know, I'm just going to breathe. Get in touch with that true nature, that Buddha nature of clarity and compassion and strength.
So yeah, you know, the statement about uh, mountains and rivers, uh, the green mountains are always walking. It's like, what? what does that mean, right? So if you spend time there on the mountain, you'll see what it means. And I wanted to share with you an image of a volcano. Okay, now that's running. That our volcano on Hawaii Island is running. This was two years ago, and uh, about January. Uh, it was actually at a time um, where 500 hula students were actively preparing for a big hula conference on Hawaii Island. And they were uh, learning chants and dances that they were going to do in ceremony in June in Hilo on Hawaii Island. And these chants and dances were for Pele, for Pele, that lava that comes out of the earth that, well, you'll see a picture I'm gonna show you. And Interestingly, a month before the conference in May, you know, everybody was chanting this and because you have to memorize it, so you have to be with it a long time, it becomes part of you. A month before the conference, the volcano on Hawaii Island just blew up. <laughs> it was kind of like, you know, everything is connected, right? Okay, so I am going to show a picture this volcano I got. Okay, let me see here where I'm oh, Where's that? This is an amazing picture of um, Havani Rios, which I will speak about later. It is a, an amazing picture. She is pressing her nose, exchanging breath with an altar made of the pohaku, of Pele, actually. Her body are those rocks. And she is exchanging breath with that. That is who she is, a beautiful, beautiful woman. Okay, here we go. I'm gonna show you the eruption. Here we go. Hope this works. Oh. <laughs> Okay, so I'm going to show you another one of the lava flowing. Let's see. That was like incredible. I mean, okay, here's a person. You can see. Look at that lava flowing. Oh my God. <laughs> And this man, I'm like, oh my God.
Okay. <laughs> so that goes on for about five minutes in this video. And that is a mountain running right there. Molten lava from the inside of the earth flowing. And when we were there in June, two years ago, we could see it and there was, you know, Vogue in the air. Vogue is the, um, the um, you know, what's the gas that's coming up mixed with the moisture. We call that Vogue and people had to wear masks. It depends on the days of the winds, you know, depends on the winds. So that is uh, uh, a mountain moving very fast, and then there is a whole set of dances uh, that honor this, this entity, this deity, Pele, right? The Pele, uh, that is very much Hawaiian uh, in honor of this, but that's for another talk. Um, so in Dogen's uh, Mountains and Rivers Sutra, right? He says the whole point of Zen practice is to teach us that we are not separate from anything. And it's like, are we separate from that huge lava flow? Are we actually one in some way, some amazing way? Well, so... Uh, he's uh, Norman is saying now until you appreciate and fully embrace the mystery of mountains walking or running, you haven't really seen your own life, and you don't appreciate the enormous measure of who and what you are. So he's saying that we don't know our own life until we know constancy impermanence, and letting go of the self-centered view. The big pattern, which includes constant walking and complete rest, characterizes all existence. And until we have contemplated our own constant walking and complete rest through zazen and spiritual practice, we won't fully appreciate our own life. I'll say that again. The big pattern which includes constant walking and complete rest characterizes all existence and until we have contemplated our own constant walking and complete rest through zazen and spiritual practice we won't fully appreciate our own life. And for Dogen, all beings are equally important, right? Respecting all. He even talks about roof tiles, walls, and pebbles as being sentient beings, and they all express the teaching of comp compassion. So one suggested practice in this book is Try treating every person, animal, and object in your world as though they are equally precious and see how this affects the way you feel about your life.
that'll be an interesting practice, right? Try treating every person, animal, and object in your world as though they are equally precious and see how this affects the way you feel about your life. So <clears throat> there is... Um, we, the study circle has been studying Dogen's um, Genjo Koan, The Dark Side of the Mirror. And uh, David Brazier's uh, commentary. This, when I read this, I got really excited because this was about the part, firewood becomes ash. Right? It cannot become firewood again. However, we should see it as ash after and firewood before. We should understand the dharma position of firewood. It has a before and an after. The before and after exists, but it is cut off from them. So uh, what really got me excited was his um, analogy of people to being a piece of firewood. <laughs> fire, right? Fire. When I hear fire, being from Hawaii Island, Volcano Island, you know, we, we live with this, with this volcano, right? And how to kind of make sense of it. I've been dancing about it through my hula practice. But when I read this by David Brazier about firewood, he says... A person is vulnerable to greed, hate, and delusion, just as wood is vulnerable to fire. However, when the fire is burnt out, the ash cannot go back to being wood. No more does a Buddha go back to being an unenlightened being. Okay? And, and then he says... The person who is like firewood is like that because he's in a trajectory that has a karmic past and future, but he does not see it. The person who is in the position of ash sees it, but it no longer seems important to him. So firewood and ash are code names for spiritual states. Because Dogen does not have interest in real firewood, right? He is interested in the flames of passion and the going out of that fire. Boy, and passion, you know, the flames of passion, as we saw from that volcano, if you leave it alone, eventually, right, it will die out. But if you add things to it, it'll just keep going. So firewood means the person who is capable of being inflamed with passion, and ash means the person who is not. And we know after the volcano has cooled, all the lava has cooled, that lava is extremely fertile, extremely rich.
So that's interesting, right? That people are liable to be inflamed because of this karmic trajectory that they're on. However, we can do something about it. Because <laughs> it's natural to fly off the handle and burn up, right? It is natural to do that on occasion. Okay, so I want to kind of switch a little bit, and I'm going to share something here. This beautiful uh, quote. Hula begins with the movement of the sun, the wind, the sounds, the growth on land and the ocean. Hula is ritualized as it personifies nature. Like nature, Hula is rhythmic, inclusive, transformative, physical, spiritual, healing, and above all, it is Hawaiian. Pualani Kanaka Ole Kanahele. Uh, her chapter, Ha'a Hula Lea, the ritual, the dance, Kahonua Ola, the living earth. And this is the book that Pua has written. So Pua says, Entering the world of ancestral memory requires a certain mindset. That's exactly what it is to also approach Dogen. It requires a certain mindset to understand. She says, take time to enjoy and understand each phrase of line before going on. In, in my hula classes, I, you know, uh, for... For students who really want to get deep into the practice of hula, they have to start to translate the lines and understand them and see, you know, when you're, when you're dancing it, what does this mean to you? She says, remember, this gift took many lifetimes to wrap. Don't be in a hurry to unwrap it and become frustrated in doing so. The meaning and force of the ancestral knowledge will unfold precept upon precept, and each has a code to inspire you on to the next level. Patience, one of the practices of the bodhisattva, a bodhisattva being, uh, meaning um, a person or being, who, who works for the benefit of others, as well as, um, you know, well, actually a bodhisattva is really not thinking of self so much, although you must take care of self, but you can't let the small self get in the way, right? So bodhisattvas help others to become, to see their enlightenment. So I had that beautiful picture of Havani I'm going to put on again. Oops. 
So Havane Rios wrote a beautiful song that I wanted to ask my um, three of my students if they are here to join me in a dance, right? So the, the photograph on the bottom is her mother, Pua Case, and that mountain she is looking at is Mauna Kea. And Pua is a very spiritual being. It is her family that has been uh, a, the core component of this protection of this mountain. And for 10 years, there has been uh, the 30-meter telescope that uh, Five Nation Consortium wanted to build up there, $1 billion project, has been stopped because they have not had the consent of the Hawaiian people. But it is kind of a David and Goliath story here. So anyway, um, Havane, I want to just read what she posted this on Facebook. And she, she wrote this, ha, ha is the breath in Hawaiian, to breathe, to exhale. I was taught that exchange of breath of presence, of essence, of vibration, of resonance, is love. The places of prayer that I hold sacred know me this way, by the offering of breath, of life, of voice, of love. It is a connection, a relationship that gives and receives. These places nourish, teach, guide and protect us because we humbly ask them to with clarity, with chant, with song, dance, intention, with love. Thousands of prayers have been lifted at this ahu, at this altar, by thousands of people asking for the protection of Mauna Kea, of our Lahui, our nation, Hawaiian nation, of our Hawaii. We see how these prayers are being heard by the ancient ones in all of the ways that the mountain is still free from the construction of the 30-meter telescope after 10 whole years. In all of the ways that the snow comes back even in the summer months to cover the northern plateau and the summit just when the roads need to be closed so that the front line can breathe. In all the ways that we are all stronger, wiser, braver, more united within and without. The more I lean into reflection of my elders' teachings, the more I understand in my core how deeply sacred this exchange of ha truly is and always will be. Lifting these words with love. Nakea ko'u ho'ohihi. And that means clear, my clear uh, entwinement, entwinement with all that is. And I asked her about this song that we're going to dance at. You know, why did she write it? And she wrote this about seven years ago. And she says, Papa Mao Pialog, master navigator and master teacher to many Hawaiian voyagers, would say, Make strong like a mountain to accrue before embarking on a voyage. 
Those words have inspired me and encouraged me in many moments in my life when I needed to be strong. In this time of great change, a time of rising and revolution, we sometimes get discouraged and afraid. I wanted to create a song that reminded people of the connection we all have to the earth and to each other. The intention of this song is to lift people up from any struggles they are going through and ignite a fire within to continue. Okay, so I am going to ask my students to stand up who are dancing and we are going to dance Make Strong, the song written by Havane Rios. And I'm going to change this so I see myself here. This is how we practice hula. And you know, since the, since the um, April, my, my online classes have actually grown. And it is, uh, I've gotten like 16 new students that are continuing to dance. So we're going to dance Make Strong here. And I think if you look at your screen, you will see there are people dancing. And after that, we're going to have one more song. So I better stop talking, and here we go. Yeah. 
Okay, so thank you for that. Uh, that's such a beautiful song by Havani Rios. And then I know there are other hula students that we're going to do a final song for you. And this is called Kaulana Napua. It is, it is, um, that means famous are the flowers. It is actually a song of protest written for Queen Lilio Kalani. When, um, I just feel when, uh, when American forces illegally overthrew her government. And so there is a part in the song where they say, do not sign the paper. It's the paper people were being asked to sign oath of allegiances to this um, 
provisional government. And so we're saying, don't sign this paper. We are in fit, you know, we support Lilio Kalani. So a number of people from the Hawaiian uh, band there did not sign the Oath of Allegiance. And so they were gathered together and said, you know, we really need to write a song. This was like in 1893, 1891. And so they wrote this song. Uh, Ellen Wright Prendergast wrote this song. She was part Hawaiian as well. So I'll try to also translate as we are dancing. But here is Kaulana Napua, poetically, for uh, flowers as being the people. Famous uh, are the, the people of Hawaii. Hold on, I have to just change something in my, okay, sorry. I'm going to be mirroring this song. All right, here we go again. Sorry about that. Here we go. Oh, 
Okay, wow. <laughs> so that is our, presenta our presentation. Thank you. Thank you. There, we have a couple of minutes if there are any questions. Any questions or comments or anything? Oh, Betsy, you look so beautiful. <laughs> My hula student in Rockford. Yeah. Oh, I, I meant to send you a translation of that, that prayer in the middle of the first song. So I will send that out. It's a beautiful prayer uh, there. Such a pleasure to share some, some hula, right? Because the hula school is a program of the Zen Center. And we are, ooh, hard to hear now. Why is that hard to hear? Is it hard to hear me now? No, okay. So anyway, it's interesting. Uh, I'm just saying about the hula school being a program of the Zen Center. Really, no other Zen Center has such a, has such a program. And for me, it's always been a natural fit, right? Because hula is such a spiritual path. Uh, and when we meditate, it is strengthening whatever your spiritual path is. And for me, it is hula as well as meditation, right? So they just fit together beautifully. And when I was reading Dogen's Mountains and River Sutra, I was like, oh my God. <laughs> It just fits, you know, with hula. I'm just so, so excited to kind of start really putting hula and Zen together more and more. So, so anybody want to take a hula class? I've got beginner classes. <laughs> Don't worry, it's not hard. I mean, you know, really it's... It's fun is what it is. We want, you to, we want people to have fun when they come to this class. Any comments or anything people want to share? Yes, Robin. You know, and I just want to say thank you to you and your students. I thought it was very moving. Thank you very much. Thank you, Robin. Yes, Kimberly. Um, well, I've, I've mentioned before that um, being in hula has begun to lead me on a path to Zen. And um, I want to thank you for letting us partake in this today because there were some things that you said that have given me strength today in areas I have been really struggling with. So thank you. Thanks, Kim. June, I remember when you made your mat, your first mat for hula, 
We're sitting out in your Hawaiian home on the on the floor in the living room, putting together this mat and drawing this gourd or what. <laughs> the very beginning, it's it just makes me tingle all over seeing how you've enjoyed your, that spiritual path of the hula for you. And it's kept you so limber. I could use some of that limberness. <laughs> yes, yes. You got to keep moving, you know. You got to keep moving. Important. Yeah. Yeah. And now uh, we're, we're just starting to, to make mats here. We've oh, got yes. some of the materials and we, you know, we're, we're going to get started. So it's really exciting. No. You know, it's not easy to get these hala leaves, which are from Hawaii, mm -hmm. to make beautiful mats. I'm so glad you've continued with it. Thank you, Pam. Right. Mm -hmm. <laughs> Known each other a long time. Yes, Melanie. I just want to say thank you. That gave me so much joy this morning to watch. Thank you. Okay, then. Uh, thank you all. It's a little bit past 11. So have a wonderful rest of the day. And we'll look forward to each moment, right? Each moment being one of enlightenment. And so appreciate each moment of your life. It is so precious. Uh -huh.